SEP Fanfic Readings presents Measure of a Man by In a Daze 22. Chapter 15 The Great Divide. June 15, 2011. It was after two when Hermione closed her eyes, but sleep did not come willingly. Or at all. That was how sleeplessness worked. Insomnia wasn't a battle Hermione fought often, but she was stressed about a host of things that were coming into focus and it had to manifest somehow. She found it odd how clearly she could see things from a different angle in the haze of lucid exhaustion, how everything became vibrant and loud, too much for senses to handle. To lull herself, Hermione opened her window and tried to listen to the sounds of the night, the distant animal noises, the crickets, the breeze, but nothing worked. Her wards notified her of an arrival via apparition. Ron. And he was there for all the reasons she was still awake. Hermione pulled herself from bed, pushed her feet into her slippers, and ventured downstairs, where she found Ron sitting at the island in pajamas. He'd brought his own sleep aid, Brandy. She sat down, and he poured them both a glass before nudging one over to her. You know I don't like Brandy. Ron shrugged and drank his in a single gulp, then hers. Knowing it was going to be one of those nights, she got up and prepared the nightcap of her choice, wine. Particularly Pinot Noir. It was already open, anyway. Time was a series of moments that passed them by. She and Ron used each wisely by drinking in silence, not looking at each other. For a while, they simply existed together. Ron remained on the stool, pouring himself two more, while Hermione sipped her wine as she stood on the other side of the island, then indulged in a second glass. The silence between them was strangely comfortable, the air pleasant in a way that, for once, wasn't weighed down for their history of mistakes. Hermione found that she didn't want the moment to end just yet. Not for any sentimental reason, but if they were silent, they weren't fighting. Despite everything, thousands of harsh words, slammed doors, unloved moments, and heartache between them, she hated fighting with Ron. She didn't love him, no, but that didn't mean she didn't care about him, and he was here for a reason. Hermione hadn't eaten in hours, and it didn't take long for the wine to take hold as warmth to flood her veins. Let's sit outside. She didn't wait for Ron to agree, knowing he would follow. And he did, leaving his drink behind, along with her wine. One step behind her until they reached the magical swing that hung from nothing. Ron settled on one end, and Hermione on the other. The space between them was small, yet vast. Their presence triggered the orbs hovering over the garden to glow providing all the light they needed, which wasn't much, just enough to see Ron's pale features in the darkness. Because her tongue was loose, her question tumbled out. Why are you here? I just left the burrow with my family. Ron stretched out an arm across the back of the swing, looking out over the garden. Harry just got back before I came through. He told me what happened at the raid, and combined with what happened at their house, I just... Ron stared in the distance at nothing as the swing took them high enough for his feet to dangle. Have you seen the kids? She planned to wait until after Narcissa left after breakfast to go visit them. How are they? They don't know anything. Ginny and Harry think it's best we keep it like that. That made sense. And Ginny? He gave her a critical look. They both knew how Ginny was. Not good. But keeping it together for her family. A coping mechanism she'd inherited from Molly. How are you, Hermione? Fine. Hermione looked heavenward, only to be disappointed by the clouds that covered the stars. 
Even the full moon was barely visible. There was a cool, humid breeze in the air indicative of rain. And you? Couldn't sleep? Yeah. Ron rubbed the back of his head. Too much on my mind. Thought you might be in the same mood. What's on your mind? Hermione pushed her hair behind her shoulder and let it hang free over the back of the swing. She knew Ron well enough to know when he was thinking serious and meaningful thoughts. His face went uncomfortably rigid, and his jaw worked in such a way that made her think he was reciting words without moving his lips. I was just thinking. Between the missing aura that was turning up over here, and what happened at Harry and Ginny's, it's not good for you to be alone. I corrected the diversion wards, and my protection wards weren't breached in the incident. They're strong. Stronger than Harry's, if she were being honest. Not that he could do much about it. The strength of her wards interfered with some of the more necessary things in her friend's home. The kids' electronics, which were more than necessary to keep the peace. Yes, but they might know where you are. Or have a better idea of the area. They practically sent a prisoner to tell you this, Hermione. How are you not worried? I am worried, but I refuse to live in fear. I'm doing what I can to protect myself and my home. Ron shifted in the swing, bringing his bent knees into the space between them. I live in the city. I can blend in. But you practically live in isolation. If anything were to happen, I'll call for help just like I did last time. I'm not defenseless, Ron. His response was a sigh full of disappointment. Hermione. What? Ron's impatience was palpable. Tonight is the full moon. Do I need to remind you that Greyback is out there? He's been after you since... I don't need the reminder. His monthly howl served as enough of a reminder that he was waiting. Always waiting. I'm well aware of the threat he poses. But if you must know, Pansy yelled her way into forcing me to spend the night at her flat once we leave from visiting Dean, Daphne, and Halia. At least someone's talked some sense into you. But what about the rest of the time? I can stay in the guest room, just until things cool down. I like that idea even less. I know what you're thinking, but it's not like that. I'm really worried about your safety out here. You live alone. And I know your words are strong, but what if... He made a frustrated noise. Harry's house was warded too, and look what happened. He thinks they were followed at some point, that they're still being watched. It'll only get worse until they're all captured. I can handle it. Hermione bunched up the sleeves of her oversized shirt and folded her arms across her chest. Ron scoffed and rolled his eyes, anger and discontent rolling off him in tangible surges. Just like always, you're too dependent on yourself and too prideful to ask for help. You've always been too... Her glare could melt concrete. I'll ask for help when I need it. That's bullshit and you know it, Hermione. Ron huffed again and she knew it was a blatant attempt to retain the last tattered shreds of his temper. His voice sounded like Vesuvius getting ready for a day's work. Not once did you ask for help before your seizure. I'm not arguing about this. The beginning of a headache was forming, and she had no idea if it was due to the wine or the argument. Maybe both. Ron looked away, scoffing in disbelief while she rubbed the stiffness from her side of her neck. I understand where you're coming from, but I don't need you to stay here. You of all people should know I'm capable of defending myself. The heart of their persistent tension had been unmasked with her statement. And though the wine tried to hold the fragile peace they'd found, it wouldn't be enough to keep one of them from storming off, as per usual. Like air itself, which was never quite still, the silence that fell between them was full of turbulence. 
patches of resistance and pockets of attenuation. Hermione found herself struggling in the breeze of her fight against the urge to apologize, even though she wasn't quite sure what for. For her independence? Her refusal to see his way? Or the fact that she didn't need him? Ron started chuckling in a throaty tone that sounded quite Hermione-oriented. A mix of exasperation, futility, and resentment, with a bit of why the fuck am I doing this, thrown in sparingly for luck. You know? He absently nodded his head at nothing. I spent a lot of time thinking about what you said a few weeks ago, about loving you correctly, and I've been doing what I thought you wanted, giving you space. But I'm realizing that it's pointless. How can I give you what you want when you don't seem to know what that is? It's impossible and frustrating. It seems you've missed the point, Hermione looked out into the darkness. It's not about giving me what I want. When I said that to you, I wasn't looking for you to stress yourself out trying. I just wanted you to understand that we speak two different languages and have different styles. We don't understand each other in that capacity, so we can't love each other correctly. I will never be what you truly want, and you... She stopped and shook her head. You're always talking about what I want, when you've got no idea. Ron, why do you want me? Hermione didn't need the reassurance, only interested in making her point. Tell me. I... He fumbled with his words, stumbling around, and his face cycled through a range of emotions. I don't know. June 16th. 2011. Family gatherings at the borough were always a memorable affair. They had a big family to start with, but with the addition of partners and spouses, friends of the family, and three grandchildren under the age of eight currently in attendance, lively was an inadequate way to describe the evening. More like loud and boisterous. But Hermione enjoyed the company, the sense of being part of a family that was as nurturing as it was inclusive. She didn't have siblings, and while she couldn't complain, the idea of a large family was something she was drawn to. Perhaps in another life. Molly had outdone herself with a blend of dishes. She tried to make everyone's favorites. The house was filled with the thickness and warmth provided by her last-minute efforts. Tonight was a special occasion. Harry and Ginny were sending the kids to Shell Cottage tomorrow morning, where her friends would stay as well, until the children were settled into their new home. The mystery of how their home had been found was something the four had spent the four before dinner speculating about while the kids played behind the burrow, but they had come up with nothing outside of the possibility that any one of them were being tracked or followed home while taking the children to and from school. Ron had offered up Draco Malfoy to blame, for old time's sake, but Harry, in a move that surprised both her and his past self, had disregarded the idea, joke or not. Malfoy's a lot of things, but he isn't outright evil. Ginny kicked Ron in the shin when he snorted in response. Grow up, Ron! Hermione put aside her thoughts during dinner, but found herself momentarily distracted by Molly, who looked more at peace than she had ever been. Something would always be missing, not just Fred, but today also Charlie, Bill, and his family. But Molly chose to focus on those who were there. As long as everyone was happy, safe, and fed, the Weasley matriarch was good. Luna was in attendance, talking to Arthur with a serene smile about her travels, which clearly fascinated him with the wild way he was gesticulating. Neville sat next to her, a casual arm slung over the back of her chair. He always looked so proud of her, only interrupting to remind Luna about something else amazing she'd accomplished. George had brought Angelina, who was home for the week. He seemed happy when in the shop or around his family and friends, but never more so when she was at his side. 
George was smiling, poking fun at Percy, as he was wont to do, about a topic Hermione couldn't hear. Percy remained unmoved, but his ears were pink. Angelina looked fondly amused. Ginny went back and forth from chatting with her, Harry, and Ron, to glaring daggers when one of her three kids complained about the other. That time, the victim was James, who was sitting on the other side of Harry, whinging about Lily breathing too hard. Do I need to pull out the get-along shirt? No, Mom, James sulked, huffing hard enough for his hair to fly up. Lily smiled innocently, with all teeth, so precocious, just like her mother. And Al, who had wormed his way into the chair next to Hermione, stuffed so much food into his mouth that his cheeks bulge. Harry chuckled, but she couldn't tell which sight amused him more. Probably all of it. He left the more tough love to Ginny. With a mother like Molly Weasley, she was far better at it anyway. I swear, every day you get more and more like Mum, Ron laughed. It's scary. I don't know how you do it. It's a talent. With a wave of her hand, Ginny cleaned the gravy that had spilled on Lily's lime-green shirt for the third time, as well as a necessity. She wasn't looking in Al's direction, but she told him, It's not running away, love. Take your time. Al blushed, and Hermione ruffled his hair fondly. He would have smiled if his cheeks allowed it. The rest of dinner passed in a normal mixture of good food and steady conversation. Just after dark, the kids asked to go back outside to catch fireflies. Luna and Neville went along with Harry, George, and Ron. Ginny shooed her mother out of the kitchen before she set up cleaning everything. Angelina helped while Hermione put on the kettle to share after they finished. "'Have you told the kids they're leaving tomorrow?' Angelina asked. "'Not yet,' Ginny ran a hand through her hair. "'When they're done playing, Harry and I will talk to them. James and Lily will be ecstatic, but I worry about Al.' She always worried about him. Hermione did as well. "'I can stay and be here when you tell them.' "'Thanks.' Al's done nothing except ask when he can go play with Scorpius again, and I just... Ginny sighed under the weight of their circumstances on her shoulders. I don't know what to tell him. A heavy silence fell in the room. It was brief, lasting only a few moments, but in that time, no thoughts could be spoken that would make things better for anyone, especially Ginny, who resumed spelling the dishes back into the cupboard. Do you and Harry need any help sorting through everything? Probably. It's just been cleared by the curse breakers this morning. They didn't find anything dangerous, except a message on the wall. We're going to spend a few days with Bill and Fleur when we deliver the children, but we'll be back Monday afternoon. Percy, Ron, and Neville are coming over to help. Dean offered, but we told him to stay home with Daphne and Halia. I really need to visit them, Angelina said with a small smile. I can't believe we were all wrong about her having a girl. Luna will never let us live it down. She and Ginny both chuckled. No, she wouldn't. I'll come over, Hermione offered. And I'll bring Pansy. We'll help you get your house together to sell. She's already agreed. Ginny smiled graciously, obviously unsettled by the entire ordeal, but determined to keep a brave face for her children, and for Harry, who quietly took things hard. She would never talk about it with Hermione. That wasn't her way. But Hermione was comforted by the knowledge that Ginny would share her feelings with Harry. They were good for each other in that way. George and I will, too. Angelina used her wand to put away the rest of the place settings. No, you two haven't seen each other in nearly a month. We don't... We'll be there. And that was that. Hermione was the first to the table, pouring the three of them tea, but Angelina soon followed. They weren't particularly close, but they shared non-traditional views about a woman's place in the Wizarding Society, similar musical taste, and a close bond with the Weasley family, which was as solid of a foundation as they needed. How's life traveling the world? Angelina chuckled. About as good as ever. 
but I'm happy to be back, even if it's just for the week. George is certainly happy to see you. He's been different these last months. Her eyes softened with affection. Wants to make a real go at it. Immensely intrigued, Ginny joined the conversation fully by sitting next to Angelina, eyes practically sparkling. You mean... Maybe, she shrugged, trying and failing to suppress her smile. We're talking about it. Hermione clapped, grinning in excitement. Ginny was so thrilled by the prospect she squealed and flung her arms around Angelina, who rolled her eyes but accepted the hug. They had been close for years, both due to Angelina's relationship with her brother and the fact that they used to play for the Hollyhead Harpies together before Ginny transitioned into reporting. It's not written in stone. Don't care, Ginny exclaimed, holding on to her friend. This is exciting and just the distraction I need. I've only been waiting for this moment over ten years. We have a lot to work out, Angelina laughed, but it was too weighted. Like our careers, for one. I'm not ready to retire, and George would never ask me to, but I know we both need more than a week or so every month. It sounded like Angelina had a lot on her mind. I'm honestly trying to contend with the idea of actually wanting a family and a career, but I do. Her laugh was slightly hysterical. I want it all. Who says you can't have it? Hermione took a sip of tea. Who says you have to choose? I think it's about finding a balance in life, the right mix of the two that will make you happy. I agree. Ginny wrapped her arms around Angelina's shoulders and lightly squeezed. I could have played another ten years, and Harry would have 100% supported me. He brought the boys to the games, and I came home every chance I got, but when Lily was born, I just, I felt like it was the right time to retire. Then the prophet called, and I didn't hesitate. So talk it over with George, and once you make a decision, it'll be one that works for you. Angelina drank her tea while tucking away the advice she'd been given. Ginny stirred her teaspoon with a circular motion of her finger. It wasn't long before the conversation restarted with a different subject. Her. So, Hermione? Angelie wore a coy smile. She didn't like where this was going. Um, just curious how things are going with you. Catch me up. I hear you're working for Narcissa Malfoy. How's that? It's interesting. If she said much more than that, she risked violating the non-disclosure section of her contract. Is Draco Malfoy still a Ponzi git? Angelina asked after a sip of tea. You know, I'd just like to point out that it literally isn't fair how bloody attractive he is now. Whenever his pictures are in Witch Weekly, my team is practically reduced to thirsty fourth years. I have to remind them that he was the absolute worst in school. Yet all the society families are hoping and praying he picks one of their daughters to marry. Some people have all the luck. Hermione knew exactly which parts of that statement to respond to, and which to ignore. He was pretty foul then, but now he's interesting. In the same way that a well-executed novel could break down every known writing rule. Their reactions varied from fascinated, Angelina, to curiously suspicious, Ginny. Neither made her comfortable. Hermione found herself looking at the doorway while calculating the chances of making it through should she decide to tactfully retreat. Her versus a mother of three small children and a Quidditch player. Her chances weren't good. Where had that urge come from anyway? She had no reason to hide, but a tempest of jittery energy was trapped in her body with nowhere to go. Does he still treat everyone beneath him like the scourge of the earth? There was an odd sort of restlessness that settled in her bones, one she could easily blame on being tired, but she knew that wasn't true. Well? Ginny leaned forward on her elbows, resting her chin on her closed fist. She was waiting, patiently. More than that, Ginny had the look of someone who was investigating. 
Hermione didn't like the expression at all, and her face warmed even as she rolled her shoulders in a bland shrug. He's not around much. Always either at work or locked in his office, so we don't talk a lot. The statement towed the line between truth and false, but Hermione didn't feel comfortable opening the curtains for them to see the tentative dynamic they'd found. He can be every bit the arse he was, but he hasn't called me any derogatory terms, or even so much as slipped up and nearly said something offensive. But his mother is my assignment. I've read her book out of curiosity, but how is she really? Angelina seemed genuinely curious, but then she smirked. A gem, I'm sure. Hermione barked out a laugh. Oh, absolutely. She's a piece of work. I've spent a lot of time playing mental chess to outthink her. They both looked surprised by the challenge Narcissa presented. If only they really knew. We've had a few hiccups, but I think we're finding common ground. Mostly. Tonight, Narcissa had been invited to another event. Hermione had originally planned to attend, but it was more important to see the children off. Malfoy would be there, though he had only given a non-committal look over the rim of his glasses at her request to keep note of any symptoms. Sax would be in attendance as well, just in case anything should happen. Ginny made a chuffed noise. From what Harry's told me, well, he made it sound like you and Malfoy interacted more. You brought him lunch. I had extras. Pansy told me that you have tea with him nearly every day. Ginny looked nothing short of smug. Hermione really wished everyone would mind their business. Hard not to when we're both in the kitchen every morning. And conversations? We talk. The redhead gave her a probing look. Harry thinks Malfoy has built up a reluctant respect for you. I doubt respect is an accurate term for it. She dismissively waved Ginny's words off with a flick of her wrist. Angelina's brow arched, but she said nothing. Ginny sat back in her chair, arms folded as she studied her. Maybe. But according to Harry, he listens to you. He even saw you two talking when you found the aura outside your wards. And you helped him plan the raid. More than once. Before you came along, they hadn't been able to finish a planning session without arguing. They're both ridiculous and bring out the adolescent in one another. Hermione shut her eyes and grinned. I happen to be quite the mediator. I can just imagine how well that went, Angelina snorted. Stepping between years of animosity is a tall order. One only you can fulfill if you understand both sides. Harry, I understand quite clearly, Hermione laughed. Malfoy is an enigma wrapped up in a contradiction, dressed all in black, and smothered in inherited wealth. That sounds complicated. Ginny burst out laughing. It's likely accurate, though. I think Harry's pretty flummoxed by Malfoy as well, especially after what happened this afternoon. Now it was Hermione's turn to perk with interest. Ginny indulged her. Somehow, he found out what happened, probably from Pansy, and he made a flu call to ask after the children. She looked surprised by the words coming out of her own mouth. That made two of them. Sorry, what? Her shrug was open-handed and exaggerated just to show her level of bafflement. I mean, he didn't ask about me or Harry, of course, but wanted to know if the kids were okay. Appears Tin Man has a heart after all, Angelina laughed at her own joke. Ginny joined in, but Hermione was too deep in thought about the meaning lurking underneath Malfoy's actions, like she often did. I suppose that's possible, Hermione shrugged. He is a father. He would understand what Harry's going through. Poor kid, Angelina shook her head. With Malfoy as a father, who knows how he'll turn out? Actually, she trailed off with a fond shake of her head at the vision of the tow-headed boy she saw almost every day. The way he would hesitantly smile, but only if no one else was around. 
the way he curiously looked at the time she'd brought him yesterday. His son is much different. Oh? True, a bittersweet smirk played on Ginny's lips. Albus hasn't stopped talking about showing him the chickens. How is he different? A very confused Angelina asked. Scorpius has a kind heart. Hermione lowered her eyes to her teacup. He's got almost all of Malfoy's mannerisms. Honestly, it's hilarious. He can be stubborn, almost too observant, but he's smart and curious about everything. He loves plants and honey. When he learns to read, he'll... Someone cleared their throat, and she jerked her head up to the two sets of eyes watching her with matching looks of interest. What? Ginny and Angelina exchanged glances. The latter made an embellished gesture, which made the former turn back to Hermione, place her teacup on the table, clasp her hands together, and level her with the same look she had given her countless times before. You're attached. Hardcore, Angelina added quite unhelpfully. I am, but it's not like I planned it. He's just... Hermione shrugged, looking around before settling on a word. Good. And he's had it rough since his mother died. He stopped talking, and he's just... He's so lonely, it hurts. Angelina frowned with distaste. So you pity him? No, he doesn't need that. Hermione sipped her tea. I... I see the good in him. I see everything he could be. Without the darkness surrounding his surname, the strict tutelage of his grandmother, and the strange detachment from his father, who only expressed his affection in words Scorpius couldn't read. In a tattoo he kept secret. But she couldn't say any of that. The thoughts, the pain that growing sentiment for Scorpius brought along made her stomach twist violently. It made her mouth dry and her heart hurt. Angelina leaned back in her chair, looking across the table at her like she was a lost cause. I'd tell you not to get in too deep, but you're already there, mate. That she was. The three made their way outside not long after. Hermione and Ginny spread out a picnic blanket to watch Luna and Neville teach Al and James, and Harry, who was playing along, the best way to catch fireflies in the dying light. The moment Lily spotted them sitting, she toddled over, declared that she was tired, curled up in Hermione's lap, and fell asleep. Angelina joined Percy, George, and Ron nearby. Soon their laughter rang out every now and then. Not long after she joined, the group disbanded. Percy left with a wave after dropping a kiss on Lily's head and giving the boys long hugs. Ron joined the firefly hunt, while George and Angelina enjoyed their time together, smiling and talking. Ginny remained by her side in the slowly progressing evening, watching her boys enjoy their last night with her. Hermione rested her head on her friend's shoulder in a moment of solidarity, and then support, while Ginny shed quiet tears as she brushed Lily's hair out of her face. Hermione offered no words of comfort. There were none. Even after her tears subsided, Hermione kept her head where it was despite the growing soreness in her neck. The sun had set in the west, its rays added a tinge of red to the clouds hanging in the north. The days were getting longer, a sign of the upcoming equinox, a change in seasons, the perfect time to reflect on all the changes spring had brought. I should take Lily to her bed, Ginny nodded down. Probably. The transfer was smooth, and Lily only groaned and blinked in confusion before falling back to sleep in her mother's arms. Ginny carried her inside, and Hermione watched them go then sat alone until Neville jogged over to join her. How's firefly catching? They've caught some, Neville replied with a smile. But then they released them because they were just wanted to say hi. Hermione shook her head with warm affection. James was showing one to his dad and uncle before he released it. 
Harry watched in exaggerated wonder while Ron suppressed his amusement. Luna was on her knees talking to Al with her arm around his small shoulders. He was smiling shyly, momentarily fascinated by her tree earrings that flashed like a beacon in the dying daylight. Luna pointed to a firefly for Al to greet, and with her encouragement, he did just that. It was quite the sight to behold, yet Hermione couldn't stop her mind from wandering back to Scorpius. Images sprang forth in a picture book she couldn't close, but she didn't want to. Scorpius in knee-deep grass picking wildflowers with all three of Harry's children, smiling openly without hesitation, hiding nothing, basking in the sun's warmth, curiously exploring Molly's vegetable patch, chasing the gnomes. He would love it there. Kingsley's flower garden is almost complete. Hermione blinked away the thoughts and made a small noise of interest at Neville's information. She'd been so busy since introducing the project to Neville that she hadn't had a moment to ask him about it, much less think about it. My students will finish in the next two weeks. Oh, that's excellent, she reminded herself to schedule a visit. How is Kingsley? Still giving off the retired old beekeeper vibes that I'm not buying. They both exchanged knowing looks. Hermione wasn't buying it either. No matter what he said, there was growing unrest, and she knew Percy was working in his spare time, hunting for the right obscure law to dismantle the Wisingamot's oligarchy. How are the summer crops? Neville hadn't seen them since planting day back in March. Most of them are ready for harvest. By the way, Narcissa Malfoy wants to give you a lesson in pruning mundane plants. Neville's eyebrows rose sharply. There's a story here, I'm sure of it. There is, Hermione laughed. She gave me an entire lesson on the difference between magical and mundane plants, while calling my pruning efforts, and yours by extension, butchering. The fact that Narcissa Malfoy was in your vegetable garden is surreal. His amusement sounded more like befuddlement than actual humor, which was fair given the circumstances. Next you'll tell me Draco Malfoy has tea with you. She swallowed thickly, cringing. Well... Neville's bushy eyebrows all but vanished into his hair. Never a dull day, sounds like. An understatement. He quieted for a minute as they both enjoyed the peaceful sights surrounding them. With their individual work, her patients and his herbology students, they never had much time to enjoy each other's company outside of him helping her plant for the next season. I know you've been busy, but you're taking care of yourself, right? Neville glanced over at her as she made himself more comfortable by raising his knees and leaning back on his palms. I know how you work when you have a patient, or even when you don't. She smacked his arm lightly, which made him smirk. How long is your assignment with Narcissa Malfoy? For the foreseeable future. Hermione laid back on the blanket, folding her hands behind her head. Then she backtracked while staring at the darkening skies. I am taking care of myself, by the way. You're not the only one asking, but I am quite capable. Hermione heard the tinge of annoyance in her own voice, and bit her lip in apology, craning her neck to catch sight of her friend. I didn't mean that. Neville waved her off, then scooted, adjusting so he could easily lie next to her. You know we ask because we care. That's what friends do. He nudged her with his elbow. You might not remember what happened, but we all do. It's fresh in our minds, even though it happened years ago. So we're going to ask and keep asking if it means we don't have to experience that again. To lighten the heaviness of his statement, Hermione Mock saluted him, and then they finished laughing. She turned her head towards him, watching him observe the sky. You know I appreciate you all, for everything. It's just... Without looking, Neville finished her thought. You don't like feeling exposed, and that entire situation makes you feel just that. Simply put, but yes. 
vulnerability is not only inevitable, it's essential. It doesn't care who or where you are in your life. Neville shifted on the blanket next to her. You're good at your job, especially when the patients that struggle the most when they first come into your care. I've always wondered how you gain their trust when you're a closed book. You manage to peel back their layers like an onion, find what's damaged, fix it, and close them up so that they can finish healing themselves. And you manage to do all that while not showing much of who you are or sharing your own struggles. It's my job to help them, not the other way around. I don't dump my weight on their shoulders. People relate better, not only when they walk in each other's shoes, but also when they know they aren't alone in their struggles. Theirs may be different than yours, but it reminds them that you are human too. I know. But you don't apply that method to your patients, nor in any other aspects of your life. I feel a lecture coming on, Hermione sighed. Can I ask what I've done to warrant this? No reason. And it's not a lecture, just an observation. I'm making after talking to Ron. She tensed. I agree with what you said to him. He's looking around now that all of us are settling down, and he's in a bit of a panic, which is why he's turned back to you, even though it didn't work the first time. Exactly what I... But it makes me wonder. Neville looked at her with clear curiosity. It's not Ron. That's your choice. And you say you're happy as you are. But how do you know for sure? All the arguments and points that sprung forth in her mind just... stopped. How do you know when you won't open yourself up to the possibility of something different... Maybe even something better. Hermione laughed at herself to ease the heaviness forming in her chest. She didn't like it at all. I think I can safely say I've circled the drain enough to know my options. Have you? Neville lowered both his hands and his voice. Tending to your plants and patience, all while ensuring that everyone you care about thrives. Hermione, you're surviving. Isn't it awfully lonely when you've got no one to tend to you? Neville's words landed a little too close for comfort, and she shifted herself, adjusting, pushing the thought back into obscurity, out of reach. I'm not... I have you, and all as my friends. You do, and you'll always have us. Neville brushed a tiny gnat away from his face, then ran a hand through his hair. I just think you need certain mental intimacy that we can't satisfy. You need a challenge, someone who will let you grow, but not out of control. You need someone who will push you hard enough to make sure you don't stay stagnant. Hermione couldn't find the words to speak. I'm not saying you need a partner to complete you. You're not incomplete. But relationships are healthy to have. It's how we grow. I'm not opposed, but the options are slim. Then it's time to expand the search. Neville made a non-committal noise. Perhaps in a direction you didn't intend to take. Ironic. Hermione wasn't at all certain she'd been heading in any direction in particular. She laughed at the thought. You laugh now, but one day, you're going to meet someone, and they're going to want more of you than you're used to sharing. Neville turned his head towards her, face serious. They're going to want it all. The good, bad, brilliant, and ugly. You'll be faced with the decision between forcing them out or letting them in. His gaze returned to the heavens, a smirk playing at the edges of his lips. I'm curious to see what you'll choose. Albus didn't cry at the news. Not at first. He loved Shell Cottage, loved playing on the beach with his cousins and camping with Bill. But this trip would be different. Al never left anyone behind. When it dawned on him that he'd be doing just that, his smile died a slow death and his eyes filled with tears. 
but he fought them back with several deep breaths as he covered his face with his little hands. Ginny hugged him, surprised by his emotional reaction, looking over at Hermione in open shock as she patted down his wild, dark hair. James had been poised to antagonize his little brother, but when Albus's fight against tears became more visceral, even he kept quiet, giving solemn looks to his dad who looked down in worry. He moved from his mother to Hermione's arms, but she didn't let him hide his face or his feelings. She held him at arm's length and tried to catch his gaze despite Al looking everywhere else. He was closing up. She covered his bald fist with hers. Talk to us. How can we help? Albus struggled before his words came out in a heartbreaking whisper. I won't get a chance to say bye. Twin tears ran down his face, and more came miserably. What if he forgets me? His real fear. He won't, Ginny kneeled at his side, pressing her head against her son's temple, rubbing his back while Hermione wiped his tears away, while her heart ached for him. We'll figure it out. Can I... Al choked up, face splotchy with color. Can I say bye? It took one flu call and two conversations, one with Catherine and another with Narcissa, before Hermione found herself sitting in the Malfoy family's blank canvas of a living room with Albus. He refused to sit but held her hand tight while Catherine was trying to find Scorpius. Hermione tipped her off that he might be asleep in his father's office, which made her smile graciously before heading in that direction. Narcissa, who was dressed for bed, sat on the Chesterfield sofa, observing Albus with a puzzled expression. Hermione had no idea what was going through her mind or why she was even there, but she didn't get a chance to say anything. Catherine led a sleeping-looking Scorpius into the room. He looked grumpy in his train pajamas, wrinkled with sleep. The tiny frown on his face morphed when he spotted her and Al, shifting to a look of worry when he got closer and saw Al's face. Catherine politely excused herself. Hi, Al squeaked out, still visibly upset but trying to be brave. Scorpius waved, clearly hesitant but stepping closer to Al, concern in his eyes. This was clearly unexpected. Hermione found herself wondering if he shared a similar sentiment as his father when it came to surprises or anything that deviated from his predetermined schedule. I'm going away for the summer, and I wanted to say bye, Albus all but blurted out. Then softer, he added, Please don't forget me. It was hard to gauge Scorpius's response. He seemed confused by the rush of words, but more affected by how distraught his new friend was. Hermione drew them both closer to her, an arm around each boy. It's not the end, okay? I see Scorpius every day. He won't forget you. I won't let him. Al nodded slowly, still struggling not to cry, despite the tears that ran down his cheeks. We can write letters and send messages and you can draw each other pictures. How does that sound? The tenuous resolution wasn't the only thing that had calmed Albus down. There was also the extra hand holding his that served as a gentle remedy to his sadness. What made him smile was the small, resolved nod given to him from a boy who hadn't spoken a word, but had offered his friendship with a tangerine slice. I'm going to draw you the best pictures. Scorpius flashed a dimpling smile, and though sad, Al scrubbed his face and smiled back. Auntie Myony, can we catch fireflies outside? Hermione doubted there were fireflies out there, but looked at Narcissa anyway. The older witch gave a single, obligatory nod, and off they went. I have to have you home in thirty minutes. He and Scorpius exchanged looks. Okay. From the window, she and Narcissa watched the bond in action between two boys who had only just met once. How surprisingly deep it ran. How meaningful. 
There were no fireflies, but they sat in the grass under artificial lights, and all Hermione could see was Al's mouth moving while Scorpius listened intensely, until he smiled. Brightly. Narcissa looked stunned, but having seen him smile that wide before, Hermione's mind started working, planning, figuring out a way to foster this bond, despite the upcoming distance. There were journals, parchment she could charm, ways to send voice messages by owl. She wondered how Malfoy received letters when she'd never seen an owl arrive at the window. "'It's a shame he'll be gone for the summer,' Narcissa folded her arms across her chest. Albus was distraught. I think seeing Scorpius tonight and figuring out a way for them to communicate will help make the separation easier. The woman was silent long enough for Hermione to glance over at her. There was an expression of quiet dismay on her drawn features. I was hoping Albus Potter was just the thing to get Scorpius to speak. Is that why you... His silence has gone on long enough. Narcissa cut her eyes at Hermione. I've grown weary of waiting for him to speak on his own. The more you push him, the less likely he is to speak. If you're concerned about his ability to communicate, perhaps sign language should be added to his curriculum. It would be more beneficial than learning dead languages. Her statement was not appreciated. I'd rather not encourage him to remain silent. That's not at all what learning sign language would do for him. It would help him communicate. Is that not good enough? Do you want to hear his voice? Well, until he's ready to speak, his hands can do that for him. Narcissa said nothing, but it was clear the idea had been rejected. Firmly. And what did it matter if he spoke? Hermione thought quietly to herself. Scorpius wouldn't have a voice with her anyway. Narcissa thought her firm hand was necessary to make him strong, even though that belief was severely flawed. She cared about him, in her own way, the best way she knew how. But in the end, her grandson was a problem that she intended to check off her long list of things to do before her time was up right along with fixing things with his father. Hermione shook all thoughts away to focus on the more pressing matter at hand. She went back to watching the boys and working out the logistics of forming a plan. She stepped outside and the boys knew immediately it was time to take Albus home. They stood to their feet, and before Scorpius could do anything, Al hugged him. Scorpius's hands hung limp at his sides until one tentatively moved to hug him back. Then the other followed. When they separated... There were fresh tears in Al's eyes, ones that fell as he walked across the grass towards her with an equally somber Scorpius at his side. "'It's not goodbye, remember?' she told them, despite already feeling the effects of their impending separation. "'You'll be back before you know it.' "'I know,' Albus rubbed his eyes, cheeks red. "'Then we can show Scorp the chickens, right?' "'Yes, love.' Hermione took a hand from each and led them both to the fireplace. Narcissa had returned to her seat— and was pretending to read a book. Hermione kneeled in front of the two boys. Scorpius looked a bit more upset than before as he exchanged looks with Al and nodded. Auntie Hermione, while I'm gone, can you read Scorp my favorite books? He likes being read to. It was an odd request that brought forth a heart-stopping moment. She just looked between the two of them. Narcissa, who was unapologetically eavesdropping, had the same dawning realization. Hermione glanced at Scorpius, who somehow looked both worried and hopeful, biting his lip. He looked down at his slippers, and she couldn't keep the wonder out of her voice when she replied to Albus. "'Of course I will, but how do you know he likes to be read to?' "'We're friends, and I like it when you read to me.' So naturally he would like the same. Her heart calmed, slightly. "'If it's okay with everyone, I'll read to him.' She caught Narcissa's head tilt— it was a topic they would have to discuss later. 
They both needed sleep, and she needed time to work if she hoped to send Albus off with everything he needed to communicate with Scorpius over the summer. One last hug before we go? Al looked hopeful. They turned to each other, and she caught the slight quiver of Scorpius's lip before Albus hugged him again. Hermione had to remember there was no such thing as an easy goodbye, just as she reminded them that it wasn't permanent. It was temporary, but that didn't make it easier. Pansy stared at the vial Hermione presented, lifting it to the light. It was just past midnight, and after a long day and even longer night, she'd come home and gotten right to work on her plan to help them communicate. She had just finished ironing out the logistics of a two-way parchment for them to draw each other pictures, when Pansy emerged from the flu, looking far too chipper for someone in silk pajamas. She was there to collect, and Hermione put her work aside to deliver as requested. A vial with a potion that would lower everyone's inhibitions just enough to shake off the jitters involved in attending a large party. Or, rather, enough for Pansy to say hello to Cho, willingly. It looks like water with a drop of milk, Pansy scrunched her face up. The cloudier it is, the stronger its effects. You said you wanted an amiable greeting, not a Greek orgy. You're not funny at all, Granger. But Pansy laughed despite herself, closing her fist around the vial and settling on the sofa like she would be there a while. How are the potters? Hermione bit the inside of her cheek and shrugged, which made Pansy wince. That good, huh? Better than expected. Better than she would be in their situation, if she were being honest. The kids leave in the morning. I took Albus to say goodbye to Scorpius, so I feel pretty emotionally drained, to be honest. Fuck! Hermione sat next to Pansy and rested her head on her friend's shoulder, in a rare moment that needed no explanation. How are they? Al cried himself to sleep, and Scorpius... Hermione sighed and straightened, running a hand through her curls. She had been so torn about leaving him, but there was nothing to do about that. She had to take Albus back to the burrow. Hermione was certain he would wind up on his father's sofa again, wrapped in his blanket, and she hoped he wouldn't be alone for too long. He seemed upset. Those poor kids. Daphne's supposed to take Scorpius tomorrow evening to meet Halia, so I'll give her a heads up. Oh, that was intriguing. How did that happen? I was there as mediator. She and Narcissa only argued for ten minutes before they came to an agreement. She made it sound like an improvement. Draco, did you tell Malfoy what happened at Harry's house? It might have been brought up in a casual conversation, but then he got briefed on it further from the head of the DMLE. So... She trailed off, remaining coy when the shrug that shifted into a sharp look. Why do you ask? No reason, Hermione turned, crossing her legs and folding them under herself. She looked at the other witch hard, turning her words over and over in her brain. She spoke to Malfoy more than Hermione had originally thought, which was curious. Ginny was just surprised that he asked after the children. He did? Razor-sharp blue eyes squinted. Interesting. It was an honest response, but careful in that way of hers. Not giving too much, Pansy shrugged flippantly. Who knows Draco's motives about anything, really? Why don't you ask him? She glared at her friend, who smiled too wide, like a Cheshire cat. Hermione thought about the lone piece she had that looked a lot like a kettle, and wondered how many pieces Pansy had. How much of Draco Malfoy had she figured out? The nuances of his character? What made him worth protecting the way she did? Perhaps she knew the ins and outs of him, and that was why she guarded him so fiercely. Since you talk to him as much as you do, perhaps you would know better than I would. From the cutting look she gave Hermione, it was obvious Pansy wanted to have words with her. 
Now, what those words were, she had no idea. Hermione rolled her eyes. A better topic of conversation is the security at your party. With what happened, first of all, I am not cancelling it. Pansy gave her a defiant look, daring her to approach that topic. Second, Theo's handling the increased security measures on his property, but the invitations and non-disclosure agreements are spelled to grant access only to the intended recipient, and they're agreed upon plus one. We'll have guards in regular clothes mingling throughout the party. Hermione didn't get a chance to say anything, silenced by the surprise arrival of Percy, who stepped out of her flue dressed in his official ministry robes, with perfectly styled hair that emphasized his severe expression. Like a beacon for lost sailors, he focused on Hermione. The air in the room shifted as the tension weighed on all of them. There was a sense of foreboding he brought with him that made it clear something unwanted was in her future. Hermione's nerves were on edge with anticipation, her mind racing with thoughts as she went through the scenario after scenario that could explain his visit. All roads led back to one. His visit wasn't personal. The pansy didn't know that. In an instant, she was on her feet, hands on her hips, indignant. For fuck's sake, Weasley! The staggering shock that Pansy's presence caused him would have been humorous had it not been for his heavy entrance. Percy's eyes went comically wide before his face settled into a more normal expression. Why are you here? Pansy crossed the room, acting as a physical boundary between her and Percy, standing directly in front of him. I think the better question is why are you here? Though Hermione couldn't see Pansy, her tone was indicative of her mood. Official ministry business. He peered over Pansy's head at Hermione, who hadn't moved from her spot. Not that she intended to until he disclosed the nature of said ministry business. But first, he had to contend with Pansy, who shoved him in the chest hard enough for Percy to rock back on his heels. Instead of arguing, his blue eyes softened slightly as he lowered his voice to something private that approached a whisper. Apologies for leaving you so abruptly over dessert. At least two of Hermione's senses, as well as her eyebrows, sprung to life at the words she obviously hadn't been invited to hear. Lunch had obviously gone so well that they were still sharing meals. They both were keeping secret. Hermione was beyond intrigued. I might allow you to reschedule, but I'm not sure. Pansy pressed her lips into a thin line. I'm quite busy, and so are you. Percy's face offered no clue to his actual mood. He looked very much like himself, but Hermione knew him well enough to see the tense uncertainty beneath his mask of composure. Uncertainty that vanished when Pansy stiffly cleared her throat. I'll be up late working on the designs for the Potter's House. Perhaps when you finish working, you can make it up to me. I like banoffee pie. That made Percy smile, relief lifting the corners of his eyes. I'll flu call first. See that you do. Pansy's eyes returned to his before she shifted her weight and folded her arms across her chest. Back to business. You're here to summon Granger for ministry business? As I recall, she's not an employee. True, but she's being summoned by the Wizengamot. I tried to get them to wait until morning, but they said that either I bring her or they'll send someone else. Who wouldn't be as friendly as Percy? What for? Curiosity rapidly shifted to annoyance as Hermione stood up, realizing she was likely to have another long night. A sigh trailed before the thought itself. They've never summoned me like this before. At the blatant disregard for her time rankled her nerves. Does she need an advocate? Pansy asked. Because I... No, Percy and Hermione spoke at once. Nobody lets me have any fun. Tension broke for a moment to allow them a laugh. I can't tell you why, because I don't know. 
Percy gave her a look. I have only so much time to produce you, so if you'd like to change— Oh. He seemed surprised when Hermione picked up her wand and summoned her beaded bag, catching it effortlessly. You do have time to change into something proper. Hermione looked down at her black leggings and oversized red shirt, and shrugged before summoning a pair of trainers. Okay, now I'm ready. A vastly amused pansy took the spot next to a sputtering Percy. You're in pajamas. Your point? She smiled at Percy. I'm being summoned for a meeting after midnight. What else would I wear? He stared at her for several blinking moments, and then the expression on his face shifted from flabbergasted to amusement with a tinge of admiration. Fair point. Shall we? With a nod, she crossed the room, stopping first at Pansy, who made her promise to flu call when she returned home. Hermione agreed and stepped back to watch their exchange. After speaking to Pansy too softly for Hermione to hear, Percy kissed the back of her hand in a parting gesture. Hermione had to squint, but spotted the slight color on her friend's cheeks. Percy offered an arm she accepted. Oh, Pansy, she called to her friend, who was picking up the vial off the coffee table. Hmm? We're going to talk about this later. Before Pansy could argue, they left with a pop. They landed in Percy's office, and it was as messy in every way the man was not. He looked embarrassed, but overall unapologetic about the piles of familiar books, very old and dusty parchment scrolls, and texts that covered every available surface of the room. I'm doing a bit of light reading. We'll talk about it. Hermione arched one eyebrow. The quiet walk from his office led to a silent lift ride. The nosy part of Hermione wanted very much to ask about what she'd just witnessed in her living room, but she thought it best to save for later. Right then, she had to prepare for the unknown. The lift doors opened onto level nine, and Hermione stepped off first, then Percy. The black walls and lanterns looked far more ominous now than in her teenage memories. As they made their way down the hall and began ascending the steps that would take them to the level ten, Percy broke the tense silence. I'll be there as long as they allow me to stay. Even after, I'll wait by the door. Thank you. Not that it mattered in the end. They turned to the corner and saw two familiar men waiting outside their destination, Harry Potter and Draco Malfoy. Dressed professionally in official robes that denoted their department and rank, the two stood on opposite sides of an imposing brick archway, framing a shut door. They just stared into the empty space in front of them with grim expressions, not speaking, which wasn't out of the ordinary. But as she and Percy approached, the picture, and the stark differences between the two, became clearer, crisper, and more concerning. Harry had a tendency to slouch when he wasn't focused, making himself appear shorter. Malfoy did not. He stood at attention, legs and back bolt upright, arms stabbing toward the floor, and fists curled together. It not only made his presence feel larger than his physical size, but called to mind an image of his son, because he stood exactly the same way at Narcissa's side. Malfoy's hair sat as perfect and effortlessly as hair could, but she paid more attention to the fact that Harry had brushed his. Out of everything, that had been the small detail that worried her the most. Harry only brushed his hair for important events. And there she was, in her pajamas, with her hair positively wild and untamed. By the time she was in earshot, Hermione briefly entertained the idea that she hadn't made the best of choices in attire, but it was too late for regret. Hermione cleared her throat, alerting both wizards to her and Percy's presence. "'Now I'm officially confused,' Harry said in lieu of a greeting. "'That makes two of us,' she snorted sarcastically. "'What in the absolute hell is going on, Percy?' The man didn't answer her question. Instead, he gave Malfoy a professional nod. "'Is the room ready?' "'It is. 
Follow me. Malfoy pushed himself off the wall and led the way. Percy followed. She exchanged a confused look with Harry, who shrugged, but they both trailed after them. The room Malfoy brought them to was down a different corridor. Nothing but a dusty table and four chairs, two on each side. Hermione's mood soured with her surroundings. Someone start talking. Malfoy shut the door, beyond him with an audible click. Potter, Granger, have a seat. Almost as if he'd called her a derogatory name, Hermione recoiled at the visibly impassive man's instruction. She scrunched up her face further when he turned a finger and made one chair on one side of the table slide out. For her. She glared at the chair, then the man who stared back with a grim, almost taunting expression. Sit. I'd rather stand. Hermione stubbornly folded her arms, while Harry stood in the spot next to her and nodded in agreement, matching her stance. One of you needs to explain what the hell is going on and why I'm here. Bored gray eyes bore into her for the length of a held breath before he rolled his eyes. Suit yourself. Malfoy got to work, extracting his wand from his holster. It wasn't long until she felt the cool tingle of security spells and privacy charms on her skin. He put his wand back up. It's done. Start talking, Weasley. His tone was familiar, not at all acerbic. One might even think he was nearly friendly. Which was absurd. Harry's patience was thin and it showed. What is going on? Percy and Draco exchanged looks, and Malfoy made a polite gesture before taking the seat Hermione had refused. He folded his arms across his chest, leaned back and crossed his legs, appearing as if he had all the time in the world. Hermione cut her eyes at her friend. Percy? He picked invisible lint off the sleeve of his robes. I know you're both aware of the movement I'm part of. Of course they were. Well, before we go in there, considering I don't know exactly why they've summoned you three, I thought it would be best if you all got a crash course. You're the leader of the rebellion to restore the power to the minister by the next election, Harry said astutely. From the corner of her eye, Hermione saw Malfoy rub his temple as if he were dealing with the stupidest person on earth. What else is there to know? She felt a headache forming at the base of her skull, and she could have blamed it on the day, two of the three occupants of the room, stress, or even her own exhaustion. Whatever was happening, well, Hermione was certainly that her night was just beginning, not ending. In so many words, yes, but I prefer to call it a restoration. And Malfoy? Because that was the real question here. I'm looking to contest the Wizard Gamot's rule, revert the power back to the minister's office, and trigger a proper and fair election. By right of birth, Draco has access to the Cambridge Magical Library, where we found the original laws created when the ministry was first founded. He's been translating them into English for me to interpret while others run interference, to the best of their abilities. Furthermore, he's been going into the archives of the Hall of Records and researching for other scrolls that may have been vital. While Harry looked gobsmacked, Hermione found herself unsurprised by any of it. Now that the pieces had been laid out in front of her, it really made sense. Hermione had seen him working, sacrificing sleep and time and food to complete this translation work. The stress, the strain, weeks of it, months. The idea that he and Percy somehow knew each other and had been forming in the lines and spaces between their words, actions, and the odd familiarity from the very first time she'd been in the room with the two men. Hermione had ignored the niggling sensation then, and now she was paying for it by being blindsided. Why are you telling us now? Hermione tried to force herself not to overthink, which was a near impossible feat. She would have to process all of this later, over a glass of wine, and her whiteboard. Something's obviously happened to make you want to bring us in. In truth, 
The members have wanted to bring you in for months, but with Tiberius' inquiries, I thought not knowing would be a benefit. Though, from rumors, Hermione, you've managed to set the chief warlock on edge unlike anyone else. She gave a fake curtsy, mouth flat with no amusement. Lucky me. Harry nearly choked on air. Who are these members? Every department in the ministry has dozens of other employees in various positions. There are some we can't disclose, due to their current position and relationship to various Wizengamot members, but we're all doing our parts to ensure the success of our plan. Hermione thought about it for a moment. Why do you need the laws to be translated? Why not point out that their ten-year rule has expired, making them transfer the power and hold a free election? Because, Granger, Malfoy's customary drawl made Hermione clench her teeth, it doesn't matter that the rule has expired. Power transfer requires two-thirds vote, and the chief warlock to sign off of it. Neither of those things will happen without a fight. A change in the Wizengamot members' loyalty, or the right law that overrides them, such as something older that's still valid. And when you find that law, what's the plan? Yeah, Harry chimed in. Who are you all going to nominate? Kingsley. Percy folded his arms. However, he's been advising me as if I'm to throw my hat in for the position. He's adamant that he's retired. But you... She frowned. Is that what you want from me? Yes, but later. I wasn't lying when I said I didn't know why the Wizengamot summoned you. Harry and Draco... I imagine it's something to do with the failed raid, but Tiberius has been after Draco for weeks. Pretty certain he will put you all on the stops tonight to get him to talk, or fire him if he doesn't. Are you ready? Of course, Malfoy stood to his feet, smoothing down his black tie. Harry? Percy waved him over. A word. How Hermione found herself standing in front of Malfoy as he leaned against the wall with his arms folded was a mystery one she didn't bother to solve because she was heavily involved in the complex task of observing Percy as he spoke to Harry in hushed tones across the room. She also happened to sneak a few glances at the wizard in front of her. Malfoy gave little away, only fragments of clues that Hermione had learned to recognize after repetition. The set of his jaw, the potency of his gaze, the little tick tugging at the corner of his mouth. He wanted to say something, but Hermione beat him to it. I believe you said you'd never involve yourself in something like this, and yet... I have my reasons, and they are purely selfish. Malfoy's expression was both dry and unimpressed. She had a feeling she would hit a dead end if she pried any more. How's your pain? Suspicious was one of Drago Malfoy's default settings. The longer she waited for his response, the longer he met her gaze with speculative ones of his own. But when Hermione didn't look away, Malfoy tilted his head to the side... Are you going to answer, or are you making conversation, or did you actually want to know? Hermione rested her hands on her hips. It's a waste of time to ask questions I don't want to know the answer to. Malfoy didn't get a chance to answer, because Percy received a corporeal Patrona stating that the Wizengamot would be ready for them in five minutes. The walk back to the chamber was quick. Hermione stood next to Harry on one side of the archway, while Percy stood next to Malfoy on the other. Hermione? Harry nudged her with his elbow. You okay? Yes. Except Malfoy was watching her, and had been since she'd responded to his question. Being trapped in his gaze was such a strange sensation. He felt both close and far. The weight, heavy and tangible, felt familiar in a way that it shouldn't. Hermione backed herself against the archway, the brick grounding her, cooling her hands as she splayed them against. Percy. Harry's voice snatched her attention. You know, I've been meaning to say something. You could have let Hermione change. I'm a civilian and dressed as one should after midnight. 
Hermione made a fist at her side when Malfoy looked down at his watch, swearing at the time. I see nothing wrong. Something fleeting passed over the blonde man's face as he gave her attire a cursory, dismissive glance, but the expression was too swift to decipher upon a first glance. Hermione replayed it in her mind, not so contemptuous, but definitely... The heavy door slowly creaked open. Cool, stale air escaped the room, and a ripple of foreboding visibly swept through them all like a wave force. All four exchanged looks of varying intensity before Harry took the lead. Malfoy fell behind him, then Hermione, while Percy brought up the rear. It felt like walking into a battle devoid of armor, and Hermione had not been prepared for the way her stomach twisted with nerves at the prospect. Her stress level increased tenfold from one frayed exhale to the next. She clenched her hands repeatedly as an outlet. It didn't work. She was going to have to improvise this one, which wasn't her strength. Although shaky, like birds on a tree branch, ready to take flight at their first glimpse of trouble, Hermione took control of her nerves. She surveyed the room. Hermione spotted the record-keeper in the corner, dressed nicely in dark robes that didn't make her stand out too much. Hermione's red shirt acted like a beacon, drawing attention that wasn't exactly wanted. For a room that had such large door, it wasn't grand. Dim orbs hung from the ceiling, giving the space a haunted feeling that she didn't like. At least forty Wizengamot members of different shapes, sizes, and ethnicities sat in their places in four rows of ten, all wearing looks of stiff composure. But if she looked harder, she could see something else in their eyes. Fear. In the center, on the bottom row, sat Chief Warlock McLagan, with an unreadable expression. A grim-looking minister sat to his right, and a somber Cormac to his left. He didn't leer at Hermione like usual. He looked scared. Nervous. Weird. Opposite the table were three empty chairs that didn't look comfortable. Harry took the far left, Malfoy the far right, and she was left to claim the middle. After a glance over her shoulder at Percy, who hung back, Hermione accepted the nod of encouragement she didn't know she needed until right then. Their seats were close enough that she could practically feel the nerves rolling off of Harry. But nothing from Malfoy. He was too busy keenly assessing every face in the room as if there were going to be a test. Some boldly stared back, some glared as if he were the cause of all of their problems, but overall, their response to his scrutiny was different levels of discomfort. "'Now that you three are seated,' Cormac's voice echoed in the silence, "'the chief warlock calls this meeting into order.' He opened the proverbial floor to his uncle in deference. The stenographer waved her wand and her quick quotes quill activated. Mr. Weasley, you may be dismissed. I am here as Miss Granger's advocate as she is not an employee of the ministry. He glared at Hermione, who made sure to look extremely put out. Very well, then. There was a dramatic pause before Tiberius continued. Due to the continued failures of Mr. Potter and Mr. Malfoy, Death Eaters continue to be a blight on our society. Which was a stretch at best, but Hermione schooled her features and continued listening. Tonight, the chief warlock's voice rose in a sharp crescendo, ten members of the governing Wizrungamot were murdered in brutal retaliatory fashion. The members here tonight are survivors. Death Eaters have taken responsibility and threatened more attacks if we do not release the prisoners. Hermione heard herself gasp. Every subsequent second that ticked by felt like an hour. She looked over at an equally shocked Harry who was blinking, struggling to string together a simple response. Hermione didn't need to look at Malfoy. After getting nothing from him since they sat down, she felt him tense along the edges of her consciousness, felt waves of defense energy pouring off of him at such a high rate she wondered if he would draw his wand, or if he needed to. 
Then his head jerked to his left, not at her, over her, at Harry, while she grappled with the news. Ten. Why did that number seem familiar? Oh. It was the same number of Death Eaters they'd captured during the raid. Well, that explains the somber mood and the fear in their eyes. They were scared in the same way that children were conditioned to be terrified of fire after getting burned by the flames due to their own carelessness, especially after countless warnings. Hermione felt horrible for the families affected, disgusted by the blatant disregard for the sanctity of human life she believed in her very core as a healer. But there was an irony that she couldn't be ignored. Draco Malfoy. The minister said his name in a tone so snide it strangely bordered on fatuousness. As head of the task force, brief us on the raid that occurred two nights ago. Very well. His voice was like cold metal, completely devoid of all emotion. Professional. He began weaving a detailed yet clipped tale surrounding the raid that took them through everything Hermione knew, and things she didn't. The fight that had started badly, and got worse with the arrival of the reinforcement from the secret tunnel. How he and Harry ended up in the manor, the fight that raged on, the start of the fiendfire, the chaos, Malfoy pulling Harry out. She learned how Malfoy ended up with his shoulder injured, courtesy of dodging a killing curse from one uncle, but catching a blasting spell from the other. It was far worse than Hermione could have imagined. When Malfoy finished, he sat back stiffly in his chair and looked straight ahead, his face empty despite describing the harrowing event. The chief warlock and the minister exchanged whispers. In fact, most of the attending Wizengamot members were speaking in low tones to their neighbors. Then Tiberius McLagan cleared his throat, plunging the room into another silence. "'Your account matches the one provided in the briefing by Hestia Jones. This raid should have been cancelled.' "'Yes, but I didn't call it off.' Harry's words were ignored. Tiberius's scrutiny was on Malfoy. And yet, you risk the lives of your team and the Aurors in an act that could be seen as an open declaration of war. The Auror Department is Mr. Potter's, but the task force and each raid you lead is your responsibility. Are you trying to place the blame of the raid's failure squarely on me, Chief Warlock? Malfoy's voice was so cold it sent a chill up her spine. You have been given adequate resources to rid us all of Death Eaters, but you haven't used them efficiently. The statement was patently untrue. Furthermore, your lack of control and leadership has killed ten members of the Wizengamot and threatened all of our lives. Come morning, news of your failures will be turned into a complete and utter media spectacle that will make us all look incompetent. So that was the core of his anger. It wasn't about any of the witches and wizards that had been hurt as a result of the raid, or even the Wizengamot members that had died in retaliation. The chief warlock's concern was only for his own skin and public image. It was disgusting. For years, they had been untouchable, living without the same worries and fears as everyone else. No threats, no poisoned letters, no kidnappings. But tonight's actions had made it clear that they were human, and subject to the same frailties as all of the other walks of life. They were no better than anyone else. Must have been a sobering experience for them all. I'd ask how it feels to have blood on your hands, Malfoy, Cormac spat with a vicious sneer, but you already know. Malfoy's only visible reaction was a slight tensing of his shoulder muscles. Then his hands curled into a tight, knuckle-popping fist on his thighs. She could see his veins, inhaling deeply through his nose. He took a breath only she could hear, then rolled his shoulders like stormy waves that pulled Hermione into his path. She braced for the inevitable impact and fallout. But before either could happen, 
In a move that surprised the entire room, Harry took a decisive stance. That was uncalled for. This entire witch hunt is complete bullshit. As I've stated, the reason for the failure is mine and mine alone. You've all obviously read the briefing. That's not for you to decide, Mr. Potter. There's no decision, only truth. Harry's furious tone almost made Hermione rest a hand on his shoulder to ground him, but she didn't. They deserve the full wrath of his ire. And Malfoy's history doesn't have a... Harry, Cormac raised a brow. I thought you of all people would agree with me. We're not here to discuss Malfoy's past. We're here about a raid. Yes, the raid, the minister interrupted, voice slick as oil as he cut his eyes to Malfoy once again. Mr. Malfoy's inability to lead has put us all in a position where we are left with no other option. Like the useless figurehead he was, he deferred to the chief warlock. However, Tiberius gave a decisive nod, allowing the man to bring down the verdict in a trial where the decision had obviously been made before Malfoy had so much as opened his mouth, or even walked into the room. It was every bit of a hunt Percy thought it would be. Due to your track record of failure since obtaining this position, complaints from your subordinates, and the failure of the recent raid, it is the decision of the Wizengamot that you, Draco Malfoy, will be removed from your position as head of the task force. We will also issue a public statement concerning the events surrounding your termination that you will not be permitted to refute. The outraged noise from her best friend was in direct contrast to Malfoy's silence. Hermione's anger started to build. You should reconsider your decision, Harry argued hotly. The failure of the raid rests on me. If anyone should be fired, it should be me. There was visible unease from the attending members, murmurs that she couldn't understand, a restless energy caused by Harry's disagreement. A sharp raised hand from the chief warlock's command silenced. Come now, Mr. Potter, there's no need to... Malfoy wanted to call it off, and I refused. It's clear, regardless... It's his job to maintain control at all times, and he didn't. And I thought you would be thrilled at the news. You hate working with him. Everyone knows this. If the reason for his termination was justified or even accurate, Harry said bluntly, which was fair, all things considered. But it's neither of those things. You're trying to terminate him for a mistake I made and for a, a reason that's not valid according to the Ministry's Employment Act as well as the DMLE's Code of Ethics. Malfoy had clearly calmed down and centered himself, ready to fight. I don't think you want to fight me on this. You will lose. Tiberius laughed. I believe I pass the judgment here. Even you have to abide by the laws of the ministry. You don't get to circumvent the laws that don't suit your needs. Malfoy leaned back in his chair. You can't get rid of me that easily. Hermione blinked at him in surprise. She was impressed. Furthermore... Allow me to highlight that the Wizengamots has a history of terminating employees unlawfully. How would the public take that? Do you think the media will care about the termination of an ex-Death Eater? Maybe not, Harry stood up, but they will if I back it. And I will. Which shut Tiberius up, but made the whispers around the room rise in earnest. He appeared visibly frustrated, angry enough to snap the quill in his hand with ease, but he didn't. The minister leaned over to whisper something to him but he waved the man off with an aggressive swat. Fine. Perhaps I can't fire you, but I can demote you, Tiberius said brusquely then, looked at Hermione for the first time, smiling slowly. Miss Granger, should you accept? His job is yours. That unapologetic abuse of power set her on edge. 
Did you drag me here after midnight to offer me a job? Exasperation dripped from her every syllable. Indeed. Draco Malfoy will be your subordinate, should you decide to keep him employed on your task force. Hermione looked at the stoic wizard next to her. His face gave nothing away as it pertained to the semi-public slap in the face he'd just unfairly received from the wizengamot. There were two routes she could take in response, but neither included accepting the position they were about to hand her. While option one, which involved respectfully declining and leaving the same way she'd entered, was the sensible choice, option two was far more satisfying, because now she was over it. Completely. And since the universe seemed determined to drag her into the fight, then so be it. Of course, we will give you time to think it over, Miss Granger. No need, Hermione cleared her throat and smiled a little too wide. I've made up my mind. Malfoy turned, his stare crippling and harsh unlike anything she had ever seen before, heavy with accusation and distrust so visceral it couldn't be ignored. She met it with a steady one of her own, one that tried to speak to him. Apparently that didn't work, so Hermione was forced to use her words. At a volume only he could hear, she spoke through her teeth, barely moving her lips. Trust me for one second. Because Malfoy had his reasons for taking a thankless position he didn't need. Hermione didn't know every motive, but she knew enough, knew just a hint of what made him inquire after the children Harry was so willingly to put everything on the line to protect. And on a different level, Hermione knew there was more that he did deeper, reasons that, when combined, created the constellation tattooed on his forearm. She didn't know which reason made the ice in his eyes melt just a little, but it was all she needed. "'I believe you offered me Draco Malfoy's job, prematurely, as there is no opening for the position you wish for me to accept.' Then she turned, eyes falling on the chief warlock and minister, who regarded her with varying expressions of confusion. "'I am not certain you were listening, Miss Granger, but I just demoted him.' No, you didn't. She leveled the incredulous man with a raised eyebrow. You tried to, yes, but I think you'll soon realize that you've misspoken. Cormac appeared intrigued. Harry, from the corner of her eye, leaned back in his chair as if he were ready for the show. Malfoy was watching her, his anger leveling out. Meanwhile, the rest of the present members of the Wizengamot rumbled their responses to her statement. Hermione stood to address the room. Welcome to our reality. Silence of a tomb fell at her words. Threats, violence, kidnappings, murders, none of this is new to us, our families, or to the people out there living under constant daily threats. People who have watched this escalation for years while you all have perpetuated a false peace of your creation. We all try to live in peace, to live normally, but this is our reality, and now it's yours." It's time to stop doing just enough to keep the public from recognizing your true incompetence. It's time to put every available resource into the fight. She had everyone's undivided attention. Miss Granger, Hermione never let Tiberius finish. I cannot ignore one simple fact, Chief Warlock. Now that the Death Eaters are affecting you personally, it's suddenly an issue. Now it's a problem you want to take immediate action against. Now you want to pay attention to a team you've kept out of sight and underfunded. Now you want to unfairly lay blame at Draco Malfoy's feet when you should be blaming yourselves, your greed, your ineptitude, and your disregard for all of the warnings you've been given. Warnings that have been around since before your tenure, since Kingsley was interim minister— this wouldn't have happened had you treated the Death Eater threat with the seriousness it deserved after the war.
Hermione stared right at the chief warlock, who glared back furiously. These two are more than capable to perform the duties and responsibilities of the jobs they were hired to do. Unfortunately, they can only work with the resources they were provided. Hermione caught sight of Malfoy from the corner of her eye, looking at her in a way that she had no capacity to interpret. But it was an expression she wouldn't soon forget. Open, but the meaning was as illegible as his handwriting. She looked away. This is where their failings end and yours begin. That's enough, Miss Granger. Tiberius's voice echoed in the stillness of the room. You? No, I don't believe it is. You can stop pretending you haven't set them up to fail. War is more profitable than peace. At the outraged look on the older man's face, she clenched her jaw. Don't pretend that demoting Malfoy while issuing a statement he can't refuse wasn't a directive to save yourself in the public eye. The minister snapped his fingers at the court stenographer. Stop the recording. That's fine. I don't need a recording when everything I've said is true and easily proven. Might I remind you again that I have memories, evidence, and friends in the media who have a personal interest in seeing true justice prevail. Your threat. It is not a threat. Simply a fact that every media outlet in the world would be interested in knowing. She shifted on her feet. You see, the reason you've misspoken when demoting Draco Malfoy is that you don't want me to take his position. You truly don't want me to return to the ministry. Miss, if I come back, I would make it my personal mission to see the power structure restored and the corruption in this room eliminated. I would hold every one of you responsible for your actions, or rather, inactions. Corruption, illegal interrogation tactics... Frankly, your disgusting behavior has run rampant, and I would not stand for it. Hermione cut her eyes to the chief warlock and minister, both of whom were staring at her with wide eyes. And I'd see to it that you, Tiberius McLagan, and anyone who supports you will never again hold a position of power. You are all culpable. You are all to blame for the last thirteen years of failures and suffering. You are all responsible for the deaths of your fellow Wizengamot members— you all need to answer for the people. More importantly, you all need to answer to yourselves. There were more rumblings from the Wizengamot members, and Tiberius looked furious. I would be very careful with what you say, Miss Granger. Your words border on treason and can be punishable by... I'd like to see you try. Miss... I am loyal to the ministry, the ideals it was built on, and what it used to be before you all turned it into the shadow of what it once was. But to you, Chief Warlock, I will never be loyal to a tyrant. You are a coward who only cares about saving his own skin. You are solely focused on the point of paranoia about losing whatever power you've taken, while Death Eaters threaten the very existence of the ministry you've sworn to protect. Hermione felt her anger and determination rise— you think you are a king, but you are sorely mistaken. You see, you are just a pawn that will fall with the first misstep. The rest of the Wizengamot were staring in abject shock, and Hermione looked at each individual face. Change is here, and it starts tonight. Hermione had grown tired enough to step out of the shadows and be part of the force to make it happen. There are two sides of this fight, and it's time to choose. Spoken like the treasonous head of a rebellion— Miss Granger, I... I'm not part of any movement. Which was true. Before tonight, she was not. 
but that was going to change the second she walked out of the room. The fire of restoration had been lit. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Margaret Mead, 1899-1900